Welcome everybody to our Behind the Fnuff Inspiring the Next CMO podcast series. Now you can find lots of great resources to help raise your game in marketing at www.internationalbunch.com forward slash be inspired. Now today I would like to welcome Nicola Ramsey. Nicola is an excellent industry senior executive in the academic publishing industry. Hello Nicola. Hi Lou, how are you? Very, very well. How are you? Good, I'm really well, thank you. Now, it looks like you're in the library there, or is that just a, yeah? <laughs> it's um, it's our, our, the meeting room in the office, which doubles as, I mean, part of a library. Honestly, you should see the place. There are books everywhere, which there should. We're a publisher, but we, we ran out of space a long time ago. But here, yes, are, are books from authors with names, I don't know, D to F or something. Um, Amazing. So. <laughs> Um, okay, so now before we get started, I have one question for you. We have something that we do called hashtag int word, int, oh dear, hashtag interbunch word of the day. And that is where we ask you for your favorite word and what does it mean? And then we share it on social. So tell me, what is your favorite word and what does it mean? Okay, so my favorite word is serendipity. Um, I know. And I love I love the way it sounds when I can say it, because sometimes I trip over it. But I, I think it's got this kind of lovely kind of musical sound to it. Um, and I love even more what it means, which is like a happy accident, you know, something that happens by chance. You know, the, the planets align and things just work out in a way that perhaps you didn't expect. I think we spend a lot of time thinking about unintended consequences in a negative yeah. way, but sometimes there are positive unintended consequences, and I think we have to to grasp those when when they come. Um, and it's funny, I have I have lots of conversations with my mum about fate because she believes in fate, oh, yeah. and and I do not. Um, and because <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying you can't just sort of sit there in your house and like expect that things will happen. And, oh, there's no point in me you know making any effort or trying because it's going to happen anyway. Fate, fate. Yeah, exactly. You know, let's, let's just let it roll. I think like you have to kind of work hard and shape things and what have you. But yeah. I really like the idea that if every so often then also serendipity comes along and something works out, you know, as this sort of happy accident, then that's, yeah. that's beautiful. Then that's kind of best of both worlds, having cake and eating it. I love that. I absolutely love that. And I love the explanation. I, I agree with your mum. I'm a fate is fate, but oh, I agree with you. That, you know, if you don't do things, yeah, sure, fate is fate, but it's going to be a very different fate than if you actually did things. So, <laughs> oh, brilliant. And um, there's, there's a lot of things that um, I don't know about you as you've got older, but I certainly found that my mother, I think I can admit that my mother is probably right 95% of the time. <laughs> Whereas before when I was younger, it's like, my mother. Right, my mother's never right. Yeah, yeah. No, there's definitely that realization, isn't there? Or realizing that you know your your experiences are really quite similar. And then also that I'm turning into my mum bit, which is a bit <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay, so first things first, we want to know a bit more about you. So, what is the best thing that you have discovered in the last year? Yeah, this time frame is actually really good because I became chief exec just over a year ago. So it's quite easy for me to sort of think back over that, that period of time. Um, and it's about the generosity of the people in this industry, which um, I was sort of slightly one remove off from my previous role. I was head of editorial. So my engagement was really with our authors, perhaps more than, than the industry, whether that's yeah. right or wrong, that's just how it was. But yeah, I sort of started in this new role and 
knew that I had loads to learn. So um, I was kind of tasked with developing um, a business plan uh, for the next five years and, and sort of, you know, sketching out the, the strategic development of the business. And yeah, I had so much to learn. There was so much I didn't know. Um, and so I just asked a bunch of people a bunch of questions and, and everybody was amazing and so so generous with their time. There's no sense of, you know, oh, you're my competitor, so I'm not going to share this with you. And yeah. so I was asking about platforms and publishing management systems and how to help your staff when they're kind of reaching burnout. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's just such a wide range of questions and every single person I asked, whether it was sending an email or asking for a call or meeting at a conference, gave of their time, you know, in just this really generous way. And and I I didn't know that that's how it was, I suppose. Yeah. And that's just this brilliant thing to learn. Um, yeah, so that was that was amazing. You are right. We do work in an incredible industry and it's about the individuals that are in the industry yeah. and the knowledge that there is and the shared learning and the best practices. I mean, the approach that you've done is absolutely fantastic because you don't want to keep making the same mistakes that others have already made. You want to learn by what they've already done. Yeah. And um, and also you've forged really good relationships and friendships. And so we've got some conferences coming up soon, haven't we? We've got the Alps Conference next week, we've got Frankfurt Book Fair, and I think the STM Conference is at the beginning of that. And uh, it's just an amazing opportunity to catch up with people and find out what's going on and what they're all doing. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's obviously what we missed um, in that kind of horrible few years where we couldn't do that. And you can connect yeah. in other ways, but being able to get in person with someone and have those conversations, yeah, there's 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 no substitute for that, I don't think. I'm very much looking forward to two weeks' time when there's the Alps conference and uh, we're going to uh, get together and I'm going to find out all the juicy gossip. <laughs> exactly. There's that too. The stuff that people yeah. won't put in an email. <laughs> I did. Yeah, exactly. And after a few drinks, I might tell you. Um, <laughs> I do. Uh, yeah, I, I do remember that during the pandemic, I remember just having a meeting with a couple of people and I was just like, what's going on? What's the gossip? Because I just feel like no one knows anymore. And then they told me some things and I was like, and I left it thinking, well, that's me for the next year. <laughs> that's a really good gossip. Going. Going. <laughs> yeah, Just for me in my head, for nobody else, just for my own pleasure. Um, so who inspires you? Yeah, that's that's hard. I mean, it's hard to kind of get it down to an individual. So I sort of from that, I was thinking about what inspires me. Um, and that is, um, I guess, people who kind of have strong values that are authentic, honest, mm-hmm. work hard, have a strong sense of purpose generosity of spirit um and when I sort of thought about all of those things I then kind of came to there is one person in the industry who I think absolutely kind of embodies all of that and that's Ali Shaw from Bristol University Press who's been a tremendous support to me over over the last year but also seeing how she took policy press you know from, yeah. from a very small publisher 25 years ago now I think um and built that up and then created Bristol University Press um and and that's growing and it's so incredibly successful and has such a yes. strong identity um yeah I, I yeah I just think she kind of um encapsulates all of that um and I also think and I've been thinking a lot about kind of leading teams over over the last year. And I think there you look at kind of sports 
coaches because um, they're I think they're, they're the best ones are so good at that when you get this kind of disparate group of people with different talents and different abilities and you pull them together so that yeah. they can hear and work towards a common goal um, and so whilst I'm not really a football fan at all um, I remain very aware of Jurgen Klopp I don't know I'm going to alienate half of the people listening now but it sounds like Jurgen Klopp really kind of it seems to me like someone from the outside looking in kind of has all of those characteristics in abundance and and has kind of got got the team um you know com- coming on leaps and bounds so um yeah half my cousins will love me for saying that and then the other half who are <laughs> inside of manchester will will not so <laughs> <laughs> well they may never see this footage so that's fine that's, it's unlikely <laughs> actually to be fair <laughs> cut that out <laughs> um so when you were young what did you want to be wanted to be an author um so here we are it wasn't wow. really um yeah I mean that's really really all I wanted to be from a very young age I mean I read all the time um I was an only child and there's you know not violins and poor me but you know there was there was a lot of time, time <laughs> when I was on my own so I was just in my bedroom reading a lot and then writing a lot and and it was all completely derivative so it was whatever age I was or whatever I was reading at that time what I was writing was basically a rip-off of that and I was thinking last night back to and this had kind of gone from my mind for so many years but I don't know whether you remember Sweet Dreams Romances? Yes. Yeah those awful American <laughs> high school so I used to read at least two or three of those a week um, and then everything that I was writing at that time when I was probably about 12 was essentially a love it of these sweet dreams romances um i mean i never finished anything i would i would start strong and i'd have my first chapter and i'd feel really pleased but then i would realize i had no idea where the story was going and uh, so. i think that's a positive right because um that's actually you recognized that it wasn't going the right way so you just stopped doing it yeah, just stop why just waste stop. your time yeah yeah and then i was thinking about that horrible adage which i don't agree with at all which is you know that those who can do and those who can't teach I mean yeah good grief I mean particularly <laughs> lockdown I think anyone who didn't have respect for teachers before what was wrong with you but will have had it now um, yeah what an amazing profession um but I kind of think similarly is there that those who can write and those who don't publish and again no yeah. because we're all kind of critical to to this this particular industry and so yeah I think I found my right place within the industry which was on the publishing side and not the creating of the content <laughs> Nothing to stop you, Nicola, from oh, doing well, like ability, guess, skill, talent, <laughs> guest blog posts, or you know, an article with Alison about you know university presses or yeah, something. Yeah, you know, fulfil your dreams. I could that's true, actually. I, I still like writing, and I like writing about what I know. I just there we are. Yeah, I thought I was going to be you know a multi-million copy selling. <laughs> I don't think that's on the cover. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? They say now that actually you can change your career in your lifetime two or three times. Yeah, true. And I haven't done it once yet, so <laughs> maybe this is it. it. I don't think it's written in stone. You don't have to, but you could. <laughs> um, so if you were to have dinner tonight with anybody in the world, alive or dead, who would it be? And you can have more than one person. It's up yeah. to you. It's your dinner. <laughs> it's my dinner. So, dinner. what I realised 
when I was thinking about this is that if it, if it were dinner with anybody like famous or really significant or an in, I would be really nervous. Um, yeah. So I could imagine it might be Michelle Obama or Nelson Mandela, you know, but yeah. I would be completely tongue-tied and I wouldn't be relaxed and I would probably go in with a set of questions and I would just be like under the table. And, <laughs> and, uh, and so it would be amazing, but I don't know how much I'd enjoy it. Um, yeah. But what I would enjoy, and I think I would be relaxed, was be to have dinner with my dad. Um, oh, and he it. he died 25 years ago when yes. I was 25. And so we had, obviously, the parent-child relationship. And then, you know, teenage and all of that. And yeah. then I left home, went to university, and then didn't really come back very often. You know, I moved to Scotland and, you know, yeah. they were down in the, the East Midlands. Um, and so I didn't spend as much time. And because then at that age, you think you've got all the time in the world. And then it happened. Um, and so, yeah, I'd just love to sit and have a bottle of wine with him and a meal. And I'm sure we would disagree and argue because that's all we did. <laughs> I think 50-year-old me would handle that a lot better than 20-year-old me did, which would be <laughs> standard. Yeah off walk out because I didn't really know then how to have conversations where you might have differences of opinion but you could still kind of have that conversation continue so I think yeah we'd and we'd shoot the breeze about all the brilliant mm -hmm. telly that there is now he loved things like Hill Street Blues and LA Law and all that kind of stuff I think of all these dramas now that he oh my goodness I mean he would have all the subscriptions he would be what would he be yeah exactly yeah he would have been all over the wire and breaking bad and you know, all of those <laughs> things so we could talk about all that so yeah that's that's who I'd be having my dinner with tonight so how old was he when he passed away um he was quite old actually he was in his 70s because um okay. he, he my mum was a second marriage for him and he had grown up kids and so I was um he was an old dad second time around um with me um so yeah he he was getting to do it all again because um, I was going to say if you had dinner with him and he was the age that he was when he passed I was thinking yes, oh yes. maybe he would be younger than you all the same uh, right. age as you no no he but would, no, no. But no he would still be you know yeah. the older yeah. father yeah, he would. He would. So, uh, yeah, that. that would that would be amazing. That's very, very precious. And I love that. And I love that you'd still remember that um, the things that he would, you know, love about things now, but also um, just the things that you'd be having discussions about, <laughs> you know, things would carry on as they always were. <laughs> um, so, OK, tell me about your career and how you got to where you are today. Right. So um, uh, connecting back, I suppose, to the, the wanting to be an author and what have you, I did uh, an English literature degree, surprise, um, uh, <laughs> down in the south of England. Um, and uh, and I got like really close to my finals and, and hadn't decided what I was doing next. And then sort of had a sort of a, a bit of a light bulb moment and thought, maybe publishing. Um, right. So, um, but I wasn't sure. And, and also I didn't really want to start work yet. So um, I looked for a, <laughs> a master's course and I was really, really fortunate that my, my um, 
grandfather agreed to fund that because otherwise I wouldn't have been able to do it. Amazing. Um, but uh, I was his I was his first granddaughter to go to university, so I think he was he was kind of really pro supporting that. Um, so I went to Stirling University to do an MPhil in publishing studies. Yeah. Um, and the intention was to be there for the the year of the course and then to head to London or Oxford or, or wherever and uh, and get a job in publishing. Um, but fell in love with Scotland, um, which mm. I hadn't expected. Uh, but my mum, back to mums being wise and always right, when I moved up to Scotland, she said, you'll move to Scotland and you'll never leave. I was like, what a ridiculous thing to say. <laughs> okay, here we of course are. I'll come back to England. Years later. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, she was right. Um, so... I basically wrote to every every publisher in in Edinburgh, and there were a lot at that point, um, asking for work, and landed on my feet with with a, a job as an editorial assistant at Edinburgh University Press. Um, so that was twenty eight years ago. Um, so I worked up through the um, editorial department. I did a sort of a few different things. I did some some rights and translations work. I looked after our co publications program. I was an assistant editor. Then I became a sort of half-time um, rights person, half-time commissioning editor. So I wow. told to um, go and start a politics list. Go <laughs> 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 okay. and find somebody to write some politics books. Um, and yeah, and it kind of just kind of built from there. And I worked across Scottish studies, American studies, some literary studies, um, and then kind of settled within... Um, Islamic and Middle Eastern studies, which is the list that I worked on for the longest period of time. Um, and that was a list that we'd had for, for a long time, but um, I sort of built and, and grew that. Um, and so I was doing that um, up until 10 years ago. I became head of editorial and sort of ran, ran the team. Um, and, uh, and then, as I say, last year became chief exec. So amazing career at Edinburgh University Press and I quite like that I've sort of seen all the stages along the way Absolutely. so I feel like you'll have connections with people you know wherever they are within the business it's like I mean I know it was very different when I was doing that job but I have yeah. that job yeah I think it's also really important because as a CEO when you know what the different roles go through even though those roles change in respect of what they do you still have an understanding of what it means to be at that level and the things that you have to take on. So it just gives you that extra experience when you think, oh, we've got to get this done. You may be a little bit more realistic in terms of thinking, I know how much work has got to go into that from different individuals and different teams. And it's not going to be like that. Exactly. It is going to take time and it is going to take a lot of effort. Um, I think, yeah, because that from my perspective has been really important. And in the, the role I do now, I still do. Um, content stuff, copywriting, working with designers on, you know, some projects because of some of the clients that I have. And it keeps me grounded. Yeah. It's it's just keep, it gives you a very different perspective, doesn't it? Yeah. It's um it's very important. So what have you been most proud of then in your career? I think it's um well it's the publishing piece, which sounds really general, <laughs> but but no. what I what I mean by that is um Think of all the books that I've I've commissioned and developed and published over the years. I don't know how many that is, but it's in the hundreds, if not, it might be, you know, in the thousands. Um, um, and that's every book. There's an author there who um, 
it's mattered to them for their book yeah. to be published. Um, you know, for, for academics, that publish or perish is absolutely you know true that yeah. it's, it's part of your your career progression um as well as the 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 importance of the content that we're publishing that that's helping other people learn and it's it's progressing research in in particular areas so i think it's i think what we publish is really important but it's it's particularly that impact i think that it has on on our authors and and so i'm, I'm proud of that and i'm proud of the way we all i think at eup work with our authors which is about how to make this particular book be the very best that it can be and that's a that's a hugely collaborative process involving a lot of people with the author of course at the center but you have um if it's in a series there are series editors series advisors you have external readers we have our press committee that's academics from the university of edinburgh who engage with every single project that we want to publish and look at it and say how could this be better? How can we make this even better than it already is? And then, then you as a commissioning editor, you're kind of the conduit between all of that and you're pulling it all together and bringing yeah. it through on that process so that what, what sort of is published at the other end is, is you know, of, of excellent quality and, and, and can have the impact that it deserves. So I'm really proud just generally to, to have been part of, of that whole process um, for the last 20 odd years. I love what you say there, Nicola, because I did a I did an interview recently with a with an author and we were talking about them publishing with books. And I just love the way that you talked about that because it really shows how much you really care about mm -hmm. each of the authors. And they're not just, you know, another author and it's not just another book. There was real sentiment there and resonance. And I and you can see how much you value each and each of those individuals and the book that they're writing yeah no, and I think that's very special yeah yeah and that's what slightly frustrates me in some of the conversations within academic publishing that we have around open access um yeah. which i support completely yeah. but i i think we still grapple with the who pays part of that and yeah. that there is sometimes the sense that the bit that that we as editors bring to that is maybe the bit that could go because then it would be cheaper. And, yeah. and I think to miss the investment that, that we have in, in every yeah. in every book um, and, and, and the, the role we play in, in shaping it and developing it so that what comes out yeah, is, is of a really sort of high quality. Um, so that does sort of slightly frustrate me. I wonder whether it's because we're not good enough at telling that story. Um, I think our authors understand the value, but whether, you know, wider people within sort of the policy world perhaps don't see it and we're, we're not perhaps as effective as we, we should be in, in communicating that to, to make that value better understood. After two years of, a, of being in a pandemic situation, we've all become a lot more empathetic mm. and we want that more honest conversation. Yeah. And, um, and I think that it's really important that authors recognise how important they are to you and probably, like you said, some new authors or potential authors may not. But, you know, there's there's so many things that we could be doing, so many ways that we can position ourselves. But, you know, the testament is, is when you have people that come back and they publish with you oh, again. Exactly. But then, of course, writing a book for some authors can take, could be a five, seven year investment, oh, even a 10 year investment. Yeah. So, you know, you're not going to get a huge series of books out of one person. Like oh, you would do if you were a, you know, if, if you were um, like my um, 
uh, a friend of the family is uh, she publishes. She started writing like crime novels and she's just, you know, she's just publishing like every year she's publishing a new book. <laughs> And I'm just thinking, cool, it's not like that in this industry. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of books you're, yeah, you're putting yeah. out there every year. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. We, we sort of talk about, you know, KPIs and what have you. And, and that whole thing within commissioning is so hard to measure. You know, I'll be saying, obviously not in the role I'm in now, but previously I could be at a conference one year having a conversation with an author and it could be another two or three years before the proposal comes in. Oh, yeah. Um, and then it could be another three or four years before yeah. the it comes in and, and linking that back and saying it was worthwhile attending that conference because yeah. yes, in seven years time there was there was a book um, yeah. yeah absolutely it, your return on investment is for the long game isn't it it's oh, not for completely. it's not for oh how many authors because I met people at this event how many authors have actually you know have we been able to commission you know in the in the last 12 months <laughs> don't don't even look at that as the, your time scale <laughs> um that's the joy of books though isn't it um so what have you found the most challenging mm. in your the juggle between um being good at my job and 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 being good at my home life i think um mm. yeah. thing. so i have two now uh teenage kids um and uh enjoy yes, uh, i mean yeah <laughs> yeah and actually yes but <laughs> it's really hard work um and so <laughs> And you know that that idea of the mental load, um, mm-hmm. which is that women tend to, I don't want to kind of generalise wildly, but, you know, for the purpose of this, you know, we tend to be the ones who are carrying that whole thinking about work and children and family and what's going Constantly. on with and relationships. And, um, and I was thinking about that this morning, like I got up, and um, I sort of cleared the, well, I got myself ready. Then I kind of cleared the, the draining board of the dishes from the night before. And I made sure that the kids good. were out because <laughs> even though they're teenagers, if I don't put them out, they won't take them to school and then they won't have any water or any anything to eat. Um, and, you know, I put a load of washing on so that they've got rugby kit for tomorrow. And I got some food out of the freezer for dinner and you know, all of this. And then, yeah. and then I got my train to go to work. And my husband, who is a brilliant person, Got up, got ready, and went to work. <laughs> went to work, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think many of us can uh, completely that completely resonates yeah. with many of us. Do you know Nicola? Something that I, I watched um, a comedy the other day, or it was a some comedian, and and they said, you know, women are always generally um, like our brains, like. Woo! And so, if we were sat there together, and you and I, and and like I was just looking vacantly, you'd be like, "What's wrong? Are you okay?" <laughs> So when we do that to to guys, like when I do that to my husband, if he's like just like just looking like a vacant expression, I'm like, are you okay? What are you thinking about? And he'll go, nothing. And and actually, the comedian was right because my husband said to me, this is so right. I'm like, what are you thinking about? And he's like, nothing. And and he is literally thinking about nothing. They go into standby mode. Yeah, yeah. And they they're not thinking like our heads are like this. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. So. You know, when you ask such a friend, she's going to tell you, oh, my God, I'm thinking, but then I had these random thoughts about this and it led me yeah, into him. Yeah. And I it's was like just waking like, up, isn't it? And yeah. your brain's already into all, and, and it's the to-do list for the day. Yeah. And, and, and I, my husband's just like, I don't think about, I'm not thinking about anything. I'm just watching TV. I'm just, I'm off. Yeah. I'm like, oh, Amazing. Be nice. What a skill. 
<laughs> yeah, we should probably. So I don't ask him anymore if he has that vacant. Impre- I don't. Yeah, I'm not worried. Said. I'm like, oh my yeah. god, he's going to like leave me or something. I'm not, I'm not. That's not even coming. I'm just like, oh, standby mode. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a brilliant phrase as well. Yeah, and then standby because, mode. because on top of that, yes, then you know, I want to be really good at my job. And, and yeah. I think, you know, the, the responsibility that I sort of feel for, for leading the business and leading the team and all the rest of it. And it's like, that's that's quite a lot too. Yeah. And I love it. I love all of it. Yeah. But it's just quite a lot. So that's the challenge is just, I don't know, sometimes taking a breath um, yeah. and stepping back. Um, yeah. And also, and I, I wondered about saying this, but I will, because I think we ought to be more open about these things, is that I'm perimenopausal. And yeah. so on top of all that, I also just get really hot. Sometimes. Oh my god, you poor thing. And that's horrible. Um, <laughs> and then there's there's the anxiety that comes, and so that sort of started around the same time as I started my new job, and that was that was awful because I kind of thought I was going a bit mad. Um, and now you know I'm, I'm managing that, and, and and it's a bit more under control, but it's still there all the time. Yeah. Oh yeah. That whole picture is it's a lot. Yeah. People, it's funny because. People don't know what's going on inside you. It's just they just see the outside and what you're projecting. Um, my best friend is uh, going through the same. And her husband was saying to me the other day, he was, um, <laughs> because there's a supply issue with the hormonal treatment yeah. in the UK. Um, he had, he it's, it's one of his little jobs to go and uh, pick up um, any medications and things. Uh-huh. And he hadn't. And it had been a couple of weeks. Anyway, he went to go and do it and there wasn't any. Oh, gosh. And he was going back and forth to the doctors, to the pharmacy. He was going all over the place. And he's like, there's not going to be any um, hormonal treatment soon for my wife. Please, <laughs> you must help me. <laughs> she's she's like a different person at the moment. <laughs> so uh, <clears throat> I could see the oh, desperation yeah. in his face. Oh, my like, goodness. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. The happy patches, as we call them in my house. <laughs> Happy left. <laughs> so if your husband was like, if, if he was ever thinking, oh my gosh, there's not going to be any happy patches, <laughs> I bet he'd be like, it, it would be like, as we talked about just before here, like toilet paper not being around in the pandemic, it'd be like, you know, must find them somewhere. I'll drive to England to get some, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so now this is an interesting question for you, being a CEO. What is your ultimate career goal? Yeah, that is, yes, it is. That is interesting because I thought, oh gosh, what should I say that was? I mean, what? Whatever you want it to be. I had, yeah, I sort of, I was sort of then thinking, what, what were my career goals prior to this? Has it always, you know, have things gone to plan? I suppose that they have, yeah. but I haven't necessarily always articulated it, maybe even to myself, that this is where I would like to be. I must have been thinking of it because sometimes when our, our previous CEO was still in post, every so often I would go, I would never want that job. So I think that must have been set against my default of thinking I would want that, that yeah. job. And then there would just be something of things that was going on. I think, oh, that would be awful to have that job. I would hate to have that job. So, um, so yeah, so I, so I think, yes, things probably have gone very much to plan to date. And and I hope it doesn't sound um, unambitious to say, I think that this maybe this this is it but I feel like I've got tons to do in this role I only started a year ago um we had our five-year plan signed off um in June this year Um, well done oh yeah thank you that and that oh my goodness yes I can imagine it's such an effort such a team effort like 
everybody um, played a massive part in this. You and have an amazing team. I do. That's so You have an amazing um, team. Yeah, and, and really pulled together and did it on top of the kind of business as usual stuff. So yes. it, was, it was a lot. So I kind of kind of have sort of see the next five years planned out um, and then there the might be another five years and then I could maybe retire. Um, and, what, and so it's really my career goal, I suppose, is to get EUP to its future version of itself that we sort of have, have decided collectively is where we want the EUP to be. So I think that that is my mm-hmm. my 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 the purpose of my career now is to make sure that I I lead everybody in that direction so that we get to the point that we've sort of identified as, as where we want EUP to be. And to do that kind of well and sensitively and really bringing everybody along so that we're all kind of coalescing around that goal you know and that's that's every member of staff in the press um you know management team but everybody else as well so it's it's around that i think um that that i think you know if if, if at the end of that five and then ten year time i've achieved that i think i'll be yeah that's that's me i did what amazing I and then you'll become a published author and then i'll start writing my novels yeah my yeah. sweet dreams yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You could become like the next Jilly Cooper or Jackie Collins or who knows? Who knows? I, I can't even remember the name of the, the person that wrote um, Fifty Shades of Grey. Shades, that's what I was thinking of. Elizabeth, no, Elizabeth. I can't remember. I remember, I just, I remember her and her husband. I remember visually seeing them when they yeah, published, yeah. but yeah. yeah, I haven't even watched the film yet. No, I, honestly, I haven't but despite that obviously very familiar with the whole thing and yes and she sort of she came to that a little bit later in life didn't she but maybe this time oh no listen my mother in her 40s um she was an interior designer and she um retrained with the open university and did a degree in law she went up against um those who'd just come out of university those in their early careers um and that were in their 20s and uh, she ended up getting a, a contract with a, 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 an agricultural law firm because my family has a has a agricultural background, and um, she became a qualified solicitor um, and retired. So absolutely, you can do whatever it is that you want yeah, to do. And absolutely. just because you retire doesn't mean that you can't, you know, decide to change your career or whatever. Why not? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Okay. So, um, if money was no object, oh God, with the rising fuel prices and yeah. cost of living and stuff, <laughs> yes, <Bill. laughs> very much on people's minds here in the UK. What if so? If money was no object, what would you be? I would be a. I would have my own business, and it would be as a holiday planner, mm-hmm. because. I do think, and I said, <laughs> I said this to my boss the other day, and then I thought, I don't know what I should have said this. Um, but I feel like holidays are my superpower. And that's p- partly because of what, what they do for me. So I'm a massive believer in taking breaks and, um, yeah, having taking your full holiday allowance and using it and switching off. And, you know, I'm really against the idea of people being on their email when they're on holiday, all of that. So, yeah. so there's that part of it. But I also, I love planning holidays I love yeah. doing research I love finding where we're going to go where we're going to stay how we're right. going to get there what we're going to do when we get there I mean my kids hate this the beginning of every holiday it's like 
how many walks do we have to do this holiday? And I'm like, oh, I think five. And they were going, could it be one? And we, we sort of meet in the middle. Um, but all of that, I just I just get such a buzz off of all of that, even before I actually go on the holiday, which I then, I really love. So imagine if that was your job where you were, you were getting to plan and, and book and arrange holidays for other people. I mean, there'd probably have to be people that like the kind of holidays I like, because I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, of course. Like, extreme sport holidays um, that would be horrifying um but yes that so if money were no object so i only had like one or two clients a year um and obviously i'd have to go and sample the holidays for them first and yes it was all okay or i mean you could permanently spend your time on holiday or part of your fear is that you go not on the holiday with them but you're in the country that they're in experiencing things so if anything goes wrong you're on hand Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, and that's part of the experience that they that's pay for. That's quite a good value as well. I mean, I don't know that many companies would do that, so that would be good USP. So, yes, exactly. I like that. Exactly. Exactly. I love it. That that sounds amazing. And I really love your ethos as well when you talk about, um, you know, when you're on holiday, you're on holiday. And I'm like that with my team, but I myself am terrible. Oh, are you? Oh, I'm terrible. I just, I mean, I just had a baby nearly six months ago and I took two weeks off (laughs) I know and 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 I still did a little bit of work in it you know and and I took we took a week off um in July and went on holiday to North Wales because we live in South Wales and went up north and it was the first proper holiday we'd had because you know the pandemic kind of messed things up as well but it's the first proper holiday we had and I did a tiny bit of work um but mostly I just I could feel myself starting to relax and unfortunately it got to the end of the holiday and I was like oh no yeah but I I completely appreciate and I want to be at the position where I can just shut off because like it's so important for your mental health as well and you come back refreshed and you're raring ready to go and you're exactly what makes yeah. yeah So I, do not do what I do. No, <laughs> That's what no, I say I mean, to the I'm, team. Yeah, I've I've always and um, I remember <laughs> yes in in my previous role and and, and my then boss saying to me, he said, "You just don't check your email whilst you're on holiday." I said, "No, <laughs> yeah, I he wasn't saying it in a bad. He was just like noticing." And I was like, "And so this is what I say to all my team now is when they go on holiday, I'm like." If I, if I see emails from you, I'm going to be really annoyed. I mean, I can't stop them looking and then, you know, making sure that, but I, I ask them not to do it. Um, and obviously, if I'm needed, then I'm available. I'm on the end of the phone. And if, yeah, exactly. As um, an emergency, they can yeah. call you. But yeah, I think it's, I think that's really, really important way to work. Um, you could have like a little, um, you know, like um, a little like swear jar. Um, if someone checks their email, just go, uh, IT flagged to me that you went on and checked your email. And uh, five pounds, please. Five pounds in the cake. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. But it was funny. I was, um, uh, we were away at Easter um, down in the Peak District and went to Olfen Towers for the day because, you know. Amazing. Children. Um, and uh, yeah, I was standing in a queue. So nothing wrong with Olfen Towers. It's a theme park for those not in the UK, but nothing wrong with going to Olfen Towers. Oh, the right. They're so scary. I can't go on anything that goes round and round and I can't go on anything that goes upside down. So it limits what I, I can go on things that are really fast and I like that and up and down. But um, so like was, the log flume you can go on then. Yeah, the log flume. What's the log flume? I can't remember. Anyway, I'm standing in a line waiting to get on one of these really fast roads. And uh, yes, and, and did get a phone call about something that was a bit of a, a situation that needed. It was a, do any of us know about this kind of question? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but that did make me laugh. I was imagining like being on the ride, and, oh, <laughs> dealing with this situation. So that was fine. Oh, that's fantastic! Did is that was that your excuse of? Oh, sorry, sorry guys. I'm can't go on this one. This, yeah, yeah. Can't, can't go on this ride. <laughs> what a shame. Yeah, no. Sadly, the queue was so long that I'd long dealt with it by the time we got to the. <laughs> I yeah, I'm like I have not been to Alton Towers for years, but um, I just uh, I'm I can't go on teacup things that spin. Oh. I can't. I love roller coasters, but I can't do those type of things. And I remember going into this ride and thinking oh this is interesting and like you walk in we're all with all these school children as well and and then they like you sit down in this thing and I was like oh this is this is right it's all black and things and and then and then I realized that I don't really know if you looked at it um what exactly happened but there's certainly what it felt like happened that I was a hamster in a wheel being spun around <gasps> like a washing machine and and it was it was like my worst nightmare and i couldn't get out because it's a black room so i didn't know what was going on <laughs> it's just like oh you just got a bet it just got a grim you just have to go Come through on. it don't you you just see yeah, it like it will be over yeah just breathe yeah. yoga Crazy. breathe oh my god it's taking forever oh my god oh, oh, the things we do so funny. so um which inspiring three books professional or not doesn't matter would you say are a must read and why yeah so i didn't read that many sort of professional books pre last year um and then and i had some really good recommendations and um one of them well it's actually two books but it's sort of in two versions is by john cotter i'm sure you'd be familiar so it's his eight step process for managing change um mm -hmm. and so the the proper book, if you like, is called Leading Change, and that's that's yeah. great. But what it was recommended to me that I read as an introduction <laughs> is what looks like a children's book. Um, it's beautiful, um, and it's got quite big print and uh, nice pictures of penguins um, throughout. And it is called Our Iceberg is Melting. And it's Ooh. basically a really nice summary of this other book leading change working through this eight-step process but it's using the story of a bunch of penguins who are i love that kind of stuff and yeah. realize one of them goes out swimming and realizes that the iceberg is melting so that's like the first step which is about creating that sense of urgency because if people don't think that there's anything wrong then why will they want to change so you have yes. to so that was the the iceberg is melting and then it's like you create this guiding coalition so this is where he was bringing together some sort of like-minded penguins including some that you know sort of had some influence within the wider group so that they understand the problem and decide what to do next so so it takes you all the way through the stages but using this i don't never know is it a parable or a fable one of those um to kind of just communicate really effectively and not in a patronizing way at all yeah ideas so then you go on and read the main book and it like and it all just falls into place and you can kind of dig in more to the detail of those concepts because your understanding has been really grounded yeah this group of penguins who you know are still with me now really <laughs> and you start to go oh that penguin that's x person in the team yes. and that's, that's definitely <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, yeah, so that was just such an effective way of of, um, of communicating those ideas. So that was that was great. Yeah, and then on the fiction side, um, it's probably um, Kate Atkinson's book, A God in Ruins. All oh, right, no, so, I don't know that. Um, one. So she published a novel called Life After Life, which was dramatised on the BBC 
earlier this year. Um, and that was amazing. And I love Kate Atkinson, all this stuff. Um, but then A God in Ruins is the sequel. And so the, the, the first book is about the protagonist is, is Ursula Todd. And this second book is about her brother, Teddy. And it tells the story of his life and it kind of kind of plays around with the timeline. So you sort of dock back and forwards across his, his life, but it kind of centers around his experiences as a fighter pilot in the Second World War. Um, mm. And it's just, as all of Kate Atkinson's novels are, it's, it, it's beautifully written. It's got such kind of heart. Um, and then, and I will not spoil it, but the way it ends just left me. <laughs> and oh, again, really? it's one of those things. And I read it, I read it years ago and it's still, it's still sort of, I carry it. But on holiday this year, I read um, Meg Mason's Sorrow and Bliss, um, which oh, I just recommend that to anyone. And it's it's funny and it's sad and it's moving and it's hopeful. And so I cried mm. many times whilst reading that book. My husband kept, are you all right? <laughs> <I was> just, <laughs> are you hormonal? What's going, where's the patch? <laughs> um, and then you're on those books, you know, you finish it and you put it down. And you're just like, I just need some time. And I feel like I, it's still settling with me. So I yeah. don't know whether that's going to sort of push Kate off the top or whether, whether you know, Kate will remain. You know, if I still feel about this in a few years' time, maybe. But, um, yeah, just, just such kind of emotional heart. I love that. Stories that, or books that really resonate and really capture your imagination yeah. and things. I mean, books can be incredibly powerful when they're written in such a way that, mm. that really catches your attention. We all have our different um, authors. I don't read a lot because um, I'm dyslexic and sometimes I find it's funny because I do a lot of proofreading. So I'd be fine with proofreading. But when it comes to reading um, fictional stuff, it has to it has to have a very specific style for my attention to stay with it. Sure. Else otherwise, I've got like books all over the place that on my Kindle, for example, that I've just I'm halfway through and yeah. I've got bored and walked off. Yeah. See, I'm a, I'm a complete finisher, so I can't not finish a book um it's funny I was having a chat with somebody like that a little while ago and I can't remember what I was reading um but I just wasn't getting on with it and they were saying just stop reading it just give up I was like I will not give up, <laughs> you know I will not give up. <laughs> it got better like the part the first part of it was quite sort of flights of fancy it was yeah. Um, I don't know. Which it's just not my thing. Um, and 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 then it kind of it became more kind of grounded in reality. And then I enjoyed it. So so I was glad I stuck with it. But um, yeah, I have to I have to fit it. even if it means it takes me months to read a book. Yeah. I don't get to read anything else. So I just don't read, and then I'm missing reading. But so I should just stop. And I know that yeah. about myself. But I, I I find it very difficult. I'm 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 like you. I, my ethos in my head is that I I will finish that book someday. That's why they sit there. I'm I'm very very uh, like that when it comes to films. Like when I start watching a film, it is highly unlikely, even if it's terrible. When I mean terrible, it's highly unlikely that I'm going to not you know to turn it off uh -huh. because I'm dedicated. I'm like yes. I've started watching. I'm committed. I'll finish. I'll see this <laughs> Thank you. you can, you know, play on your phone or whatever while it's still on. But what a waste of time. I but, know, you know, I know exactly. This is the thing when we think of, you know, how precious time is and how little of it, how we're probably yeah. thinking about not having enough time. And then, yeah, we're spending on stuff that we probably shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you could have a list of books to finish reading when you're retired. 
that's the good idea. So when I'm not writing, I'll be reading all the books. Exactly. You'll be reading these books. And then maybe by then, because it'll be like, you know, so many years on, maybe you'll be slightly different as a person yeah. and actually you'll start enjoying them. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> I could try that. Yeah. Next book I'm not enjoying. I should commit to setting to one side. So from apart from what you mentioned, and you can you can um choose any type really here what's your favorite book or podcast or blog and why yeah podcasts um they I, I tend to again I'm back to holidays I, I, I tend to listen to podcasts on holiday that are like true crime podcasts and that actually connects in with my reach so I tell you about all these lovely highbrow books that I've loved and, and I genuinely do but actually my staple diet is kind of dark grunge crime thrillers yeah. um and and so I love I love listening to those and and it's it's a few years back now but I listened to the podcast um from Chris Warburton about you know the um the Netflix documentary The Staircase which I think has just become it's been dramatized now about the the woman who died at the bottom of her stairs and her husband was accused of pushing oh, her down oh yes I haven't watched that yet that's and on then, my list well, so the, so I hadn't watched the documentary. I listened to the podcast first, which I think was an interesting way around because I think the yeah. documentary slightly leaves you thinking, well, did he or didn't he? The podcast is a little bit more, he almost certainly did. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I love that. And I love listening to um, the stuff that the BBC does about obsessed with. So, you know, Line of Duty, Peaky Blinders, Killing Eve. But what I listen to regularly is the um Kermode and Mayo film review podcast yeah. which was on BBC but they've now moved to um Apple I think I, I'm always so far behind so as far as I'm concerned they're still on the BBC but yeah exactly <laughs> by the time I, I sort of get to get to the point where they've moved I'll, I'll move move over to a different platform but so yeah I don't know whether you've heard that it was based off of their they did a radio show on um, Radio 5 um, and so it's ostensibly talking about films for a couple of hours but actually they talk about I mean everything they talk about music and life and they sort of talk about politics even though they're not meant to so it kind of gets um, <laughs> edited out um, and, and they just kind of bicker with each other so they obviously are two people that have known each other a long time and they get on and they're just really easy in each other's company um, and they have all these little regular features and they've sort of created this community I think so um, the people who listen are Wittertainees and there's all this kind of shorthand you know where you get like we get in our industry where we're probably worse than any other I think for sure, <laughs> all the acronyms but there's a bunch of acronyms so you really love an acronym <laughs> so um uh yes like you'd have um ltl which means long-term listener and those kinds of things so it kind of it yeah it creates this really nice community or the church as they call it um and uh yeah it's um it's it's good fun and for the longest time when my kids were little and all i saw at the cinema was shrek um it, <laughs> I, I i heard about films that i couldn't see but it somehow it kind of scratched yeah. itch for me so I, I felt like I kept on top of films even though I hadn't <laughs> seen how far back have you gone in this podcast <laughs> well I've been listening since I, I discovered it when I was on maternity leave with my eldest who is now 16 so, oh I yeah, see a long time wow um, you're a committed yeah. listener and now and now I can go to the cinema and see the films that you talk about so that's that's a bonus <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely so if you could travel back in time to tell your early career self anything, what would you tell your early career self? I think it would be to believe in myself a bit more. And I don't know if that's a bit cliched, but honestly, I was quite 
timid and shy and nervous and um and I don't know whether that's the vibe I gave off but there was a lot of self-doubt for for a long period of time and I always kind of thought oh I'm making this up as I go along and I'm going to get that imposter syndrome bit but isn't it but I'm going to get busted at some point people are going to realize that I don't really know what I'm talking about and 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 so just being confident in myself sooner I think I'm more more confident in myself now but when I was interviewing for the chief exec role um, and I was talking about all these ideas of things that I'd like to do with the press and the direction I'd like to take it, what have you. Um, and you know, you've got that bit where you're the internal candidate. So the yeah. people who are interviewing you, they know you well. Um, and so on that, you, you know, you can't make anything up. You can't. <laughs> it was amazing. It's like, you have to, you have to be honest. So anyway, um, afterwards, one of them was saying to me, I didn't know you had, you know, that way of thinking that you were kind of so strategic and you've got all yeah. these ideas and how, how have we not been hearing about them before? You know, basically I think that they just sort of saw me in a different way. And, yeah. and I realized that I could have been saying all this stuff. I could have been putting it out there. And why didn't I, was it because I worried that it might get knocked back? It might not be liked. And, and so I suppose to tell myself it's okay. Yeah. It might get knocked back, but that's not a disaster. It's not the end of the world. And you pick up and you go again. And, and so just that, just a bit more confidence, I think, in in um, realizing you know that what I had to say had had value, um, and and therefore um, getting out ahead. That being said, I still feel like things have happened, you know, <laughs> in in a good way, and things have happened at the right time and the right. Place. Fate is fate. Fate is fate, except it isn't. But if it was, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. Um. So. Um. It's funny because we we hear that a lot. When I ask that question, that's probably one of the most common answers. Okay. And I think that that demonstrates that actually those that you have in your team who are in that early career, and it does happen throughout your career, so it's not just early career, but it is interesting to know how much confidence can really affect people. Yeah. And creating and fostering an environment that's open and collaborative where people feel like they can if they want to because they shouldn't feel like they have to but if they want to provide input and they want to come up with you know ideas and things then they should um sometimes throughout my career when I've been looking for ideas about something rather than going to a specific team I actually have opened it up to um, the organization and said, you know, does anyone have any ideas? Whatever it is, because you find like someone that's in the mailroom or someone that's in accounts or something, you know, has this idea and you're like, yes, yeah, that's what we need. Because they're <laughs> like you said, you know, in terms of talking about people that are a penguin that's away from and sees, they're removed from certain situations. Mm-hmm. So they have a different perspective. I mean, yeah, everyone's, everyone has their own different perspectives. You and me having a conversation, we will both in this conversation, but we're both take something very different away from this in terms of our experience. So I think it's, um, that I think is really important is, is recognizing that in people. Yeah. Um, so what is the best piece of advice that you have ever been given? <laughs> and I did get this, um, when I was quite, um, early on in my career, um, it is, a, it's to say, sorry, if you get something wrong. Um, and, and I think to sort of flesh that out a bit, I think it's about um, owning your mistakes, you know, putting your hands up. If, if, if you've screwed up or you've, you've made a bad call or whatever it is, you've missed something, then um, owning it, fixing it if you can, 
but crucially saying I'm sorry um, to, to yeah. the person that, uh, that you need to apologise to is really is such a simple thing, but it can take the heat out of the majority of situations, not every time, um, but just... Yeah, just that simple thing. Um, so you know, at the point at that point, it was about you know an author who was cross about something that I'd I don't know whether I'd forgotten to do. I can't remember. It's a long time ago. Um, but I just I apply that um, uh, uh, now, and it, it's not about over apologising because then it's not sincere and it's not authentic. Yes. You have to you have to mean it, and you have to be able to do something about it. But I think instead of just blustering or pushing it to one side or just fixing it or whatever it is, the I'm sorry. Um, yeah. Uh, it, it goes a long way. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. 100% agree with that. It's something that I find frustrating is when people don't take ownership for their mistakes. And for me, it's sort of like, say sorry and move on. And, you know, learn from your mistakes. Don't yeah. keep making the same yeah. mistakes. Because if you are if you acknowledge it and you say sorry, and then, you know, you, you keep making the same mistake, you not really are you really that you know you're probably not really sorry like you're talking about sincerity so yeah I think that's um it's just being honest and transparent isn't it and uh it goes a long way in customer service when you're dealing with people who have feelings and um and that could be team members authors you know those that you work with you have touch points with and and recognizing um I I it's funny I thought about something the other day that still lives within me now I remember saying sorry to a client about something that had happened that wasn't actually my fault. That was um, that was uh, something that a team member had done. But I felt that because I was part of the process, I felt sorry for it. And I felt that because I was the f- person dealing with the, the client, that I was, you know, the person that should say sorry. And I took real ownership for that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that has that's really lived with me because I think to myself, that client, I mean, this was when I worked with someone else, but that client might look at me now and still think, oh, she made that mistake. You know, so that that that's still I'm not going to say who it is, but that, that still lives with me and bothers me. I'm like, I wonder if that person is still at that company and they'd be like, oh, my God, I'm not going anywhere near Lou. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so. What is your number one tip for anyone working in marketing now? I feel a bit of fraud with this because, you know, I don't work in marketing. So yeah, I'm but you're not. coming from your perspective as My a CEO. And that's and you're you're a, you're one of the stakeholders that marketeers work with. So actually your point of view is very valuable. Thank you. So in in that context, um, I guess but I still feel like <laughs> <laughs> know this. Um, it's about the community piece and I think we've sort of we've touched a little bit on this that I think it's it's about um understanding who who you are engaging with and understanding yeah. their motivations and you know what their problems are what their situation is and therefore so that you can sort of speak to them in a way that they will hear and that is most effective um, yes. and I think therefore sort of if, if you can create a community of whether you know it be your authors your your customers librarians whoever it might be that you're engaging with those stakeholders so that they feel that they're a part of something that they want to be a part of what it is yep. that you are i guess in the end ultimately selling um but so that they don't feel like you're selling it to them that it's something that they just have an investment in and that they're interested in then yeah so i think it's making those connections with with your customers and you do that by by understanding them and and knowing yeah. them 
uh, people forget that you know these stakeholders, these customers, these users, whatever segment name that they're given, they are human beings at the yes. end of the day. And I think people forget that, you know, that person, when like when we do persona work, for example, when you create personas and you give a name to someone and then they um, they are like an early career researcher and they haven't published with you yet and um, they live in China. And so there are things you need to be culturally aware of, et cetera. When you create a specific persona, it creates that resonance because that and you name them which is incredibly important when you name them they become a person to you and so often in those situations when we talk to marketeers either it's personas or it's like who have you met you know that you think of Mm -hmm. when you're thinking about sending this stuff out because people just often just you know they're just sending out they're just churning out marketing because that's what they've always done and they're not really thinking about it Mm -hmm. Um, but there's just so much pressure in this industry, and I'm sure all of your team feel this because practically everybody feels this, regardless of what department you're in, there is so much pressure and there's, this industry is forever changing and there's always new initiatives coming up. There's changes that's coming up. Funders change things, you know, that's new policies that come out. It's just, you know, it's just relentless. And uh, most people want to just do a really good job at the end of the day, but don't find the time to step back. Yeah, yeah. Now that persona idea is is great. That yeah, that sense of there being an actual person, person. yeah, at the, at the receiving end. Yeah, and I think that's helpful in the respect that also because it's not just a marketing department or it's not just development in terms of like when they're doing their user stories and things. It goes across the organisation. So editorial, like oh, that's I don't know, <clears throat> that's um, Beijing, for example, and um, Leijing is the early career researcher, and this is how they're thinking. And of course, you're you're being very specific to a person, but you're not coming up with a generic blanket approach. But you have to be specific to say this represents mm-hmm. a part of our community. You can't represent everybody, and you can't please everybody either. Um, so, obviously, we've had a couple of years of a pandemic. Um, my goodness, two and a half years. I think of my calculations. Are yeah, probably we're out, are we? <laughs> and, and we're not out of it. We we just. I think we're going to forever be in this pandemic. I I don't I don't think I've heard that there's like a cutoff. Yeah. It's finished. Winter's the winter's coming. <laughs> yeah. Um. So what do you what have you learned the most from the COVID nineteen pandemic? Um. I think it's probably about how adaptable we are. And as everybody, I think at every stage in their lives, because, you know, it impacted everybody, obviously. So whether you were really young or really old or somewhere in between, that we all changed overnight um, and, and managed to kind of continue on and, and do what we were doing, but in a completely different way. And, and I think that's just remarkable. Um, and I don't know whether many people would have thought that we would have had that in us. Um, so that's, that's tremendous. But also the other part of that is, is just the, the connections with people and, and that that was obviously what we missed. I was coming out of work yesterday and heading down to the train station and there were a bunch of people coming out of the um, Edinburgh Council offices um, all at the same time and just sort of chatting and waving goodbye and a few of them going off together. And I was like, oh, that, you know, we didn't have that. Um, yeah. So you wouldn't finish work and 
leave and you know and, yeah. and go back to a different space but also you didn't you didn't have your colleagues and it's all that really kind of intangible stuff that is hard to nail down but but that was the stuff that we that we missed and and I suppose my my worry now is that there were some people who probably were never comfortable being in that office environment so being at home has just suited them much better because you know maybe they're introverted or they have whatever kind of kind of needs that are not being met within an office environment or they find it challenging for whatever reason and so you know that's amazing that they they can now work in a space that that is better suited for them but it's I still feel like maybe they're missing those connections and and those people who are back in the office are missing the connections with those people and all that yeah. they have to bring and how we learn from each other and um and I don't I don't know what the answer is to that um but it it it, it, it troubles me that um yeah we, I think we've seen how important connecting is and and therefore if, if there are some people who who don't have that how how, how we make that work and I, I don't I don't know what the answer is. Well, it's finding a balance, isn't it? Because if you've got people who prefer the environment of being at home, they they may prefer that for a reason and they may feel that they can just get on and work and actually being in an office environment was annoying to them because there's noise and clatter and stuff going on and they couldn't, you know, they maybe they couldn't focus as well, but now they can. But you can certainly find a balance in terms of having like, you know, optional kind of like social events or, you know, come into the office like on this day so we all catch up as a team um but you know things like going for lunch together or just popping out and getting a sandwich together you know it's, it's the friendships that's um a lot of people miss isn't it but yeah. you know with some people maybe what they thought was a friendship wasn't really a friendship it was just you know <laughs> that person thing oh god have I got to talk to you okay I'll talk to you yeah no I know I can I completely get that Finding for something gone <laughs> yeah but I I definitely missed the uh the people and and all of that so I'm I'm very yeah. happy to be to be back and I mean I'm I'm, I'm past the excited stage now because there was a period of time when every day I could be like oh it's <laughs> like me for two oh, weeks when we've got a conference I am beyond excited here I am in in South Wales working in my office and all of my team are remote workers yes and I have not I have we have recruited people I've never met personally face to face and uh I'm going to see I'm going to see them next week I haven't seen um Megan who I work with really closely and um I haven't seen her for two well just before the pandemic started so two and a half years so I, I am, I am like, I am beyond it. Well, <laughs> Bring it on. Yeah. Everyone's just like, oh, you'll be down the bar then at the uh, conference. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm going to be there finding out all the goss. <laughs> That'll be me sorted. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything you want to ask me? Yeah. I, I wonder what, what motivates you. In the respect of. Well, in, in, in your, in, in your. Yeah, yeah. What 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 is it that kind of drives you each day? Um, uh, bills, <laughs> <laughs> nursery fees. <laughs> no, um, I actually I think so. I have a four year old who's about to be five, and a five month old who's about to be six months old. Um, so in the last few years, certainly my children, I never realised what a huge impact that they would have on my drive. But I have, I feel very passionate about helping people 
do better together, getting marketeers to do better marketing for the for ultimately whoever the target audience is and learning from each other. It's something that's really important to me. So I just think it's probably if I boiled it down to simplified terms and I think about it in terms of my family and I think about it in terms of my work, I think it's probably wanting um, people to feel um, that I'm helping them. It's a, it's a really, it's a really strange thing, but I, I guess it, that's when I, when I do really distill it down in my head, I think it is just wanting to, and maybe that's self-satisfying for me and maybe that's, you know, but that's fine that's okay. because yeah. if that, if that, if I'm helping people um, and sometimes I get paid and sometimes I don't, because sometimes it's voluntary. Um, but if I'm helping people and that brings me joy and that brings me peace, um, then we both win at the end of the day. Absolutely. So you know right um but i sure do need to like when you talked about earlier i sure do need to um look after myself a bit more yes. and i i absolutely am terrible at doing that i don't if like who's louise what makes you happy i don't know <laughs> maybe put some really loud heavy metal on our house music and listen to spotify on spotify for example while uh-huh. i'm working maybe yeah. <laughs> that makes me happy but what else do know yeah yeah Who am I? I think yeah well that's the thing isn't it because we get so caught up in that it's back to what we we're saying earlier about you know if, if you kind of you, you're trying to do a job really well and you're trying to do your home bit really well yeah. it, it doesn't leave a massive amount of time um and yeah I'm sure we could all be better at carving that out um yeah take your holidays and switch your email off yeah I know yes <laughs> <Number> boss. One. <laughs> <laughs> you see I'm I'm accountable to no one mm. really so, so it's like, yeah, don't don't do what I do. I'm the really, you know, bad example to the team. And then, like, if they do do it, I'm like, naughty. They're like, but you do it, and I'm like, doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm the bad example. <laughs> oh, it has been so good speaking with you. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. I've really, really enjoyed this. Oh, I've learned so much about you as well. Oh. <laughs> Most of it good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And one of the one of the most lovely things that you did in this interview is um, when we talked about who inspires you, I think you are the um, possibly the only person that talked about someone from the industry. And I thought that was really lovely that because especially because of how impactful that has been for you this last year in terms of forging those connections and how powerful that can be to helping you progress in them, which ultimately has a positive impact on DUP. You know, that's that's something that we forget. And people, you know, they I think I remember seeing some experiment once and it was like, um, they they said to the parents, you know, if you were to have dinner tonight with someone, who would it be? And they'd be like, oh. Like Kevin Costner. I don't even know why I thought about Kevin Costner because I think I've just seen the Yellowstone new series is out and my brother loves it. And I'm just like, oh, so maybe that's why he popped into my head. Who knows? But, you know, a, a lot of people talk about celebrities or authors and things like that. And then they ask the children, who do you want to have dinner tonight? And they go, oh, mummy and daddy or granny. Oh. <laughs> and, and you go, oh. Yes. But, but, you know, it's it's what you're thinking specifically at the time and it's what's important to you at the time and I think you know we take for granted and say of course I'm going to sit down and have you know dinner with my children you know that's absolutely a given but to have the opportunity like you said being nervous I mean yeah 
I think there's uh, some people that I'd love to have dinner with, but then I'd be like, shell-shocked. <laughs> I'd just be like, oh, dear. I'm not really of that age, though, when I'd be like, Sophie. Oh, I know. Can you imagine? <laughs> that's not, yeah, that's, that's not me. I mean, in the pandemic, I went on TikTok, and, you know, the all the, I don't know, Generation Zs or the Zoomers, as they call them, they're like, oh, my God, all these old people are on TikTok. Get them out. <laughs> and we're all on there going, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> with our content <laughs> yeah i haven't i haven't indulged i have to say i think oh. primarily because i think my kids would be just horrified <laughs> i think about 90 percent of the content on there is very funny and that's i think helped me get through some of the yeah. pandemic mm -hmm. was just like you know just just flicking through flick up flick up flick up and yeah. i'm like ha, 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 ha. <laughs> but you get lost in social media don't you yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of there with Twitter a bit, really, is that, you know, I, I'm, I'm, it's all the work stuff, but I do quite like the cat videos as well. And, you know, <laughs> <around>. <laughs> Amazing. I love it. So um, I'm going to let you go now, but I'd like to love to say thank you so much. Um, oh, it's been you. brilliant. Anything that you've talked about, we um, have a link to, and this is going to be available as a transcribed version, a video version with captions and also a podcast. And then we have some content that goes with it, which links to everything that you talked about so people can easily click through. So thank you so much. Thank you, Lou.